I absolutely love the Word of God. Um, it is a place that I go to, um, and it's funny that oftentimes when I'm feeling, Pastor, I use the word funk a lot, or if I feel something is wrong, 99% of the time I can usually track that back to a breakdown in my reading. And almost always if I go right back to that and I go to the Word of God, the Lord shows me, why do you do this? Read from my Word. Let me be the living water that is in your life. And so this morning I want to share with you one of my favorite verses and my favorite passages, and it's something I've been really meditating on over the last year. It has a whole, it's a very special place in my heart because it's one of those verses, we all have them, that we can remember the time that someone illuminated these verses for us. Every single one of us has, I call them altars in the Bible, that we are like, these verses have very special meaning to me. And I feel like these verses are great verses to share to my church family, who is not only sending me, but I'm also sending you out this afternoon in a lot of ways that you're going to get a kind of a taste of what it's like to be a missionary, right? So that being said, I read the scriptures and I go to God's word. And as I read and I study, I let the, the words come alive. We're going to do that today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending time, most of it, in Luke chapter 10. And it's a, a grouping of verses that a lot of times we kind of skip over because there's a lot of stuff that's going on around it. And a lot of times... When we got a lot of stuff going on in Scripture, sometimes we miss some things. So just before, Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship, that, you know, foxes have holes, birds in the air, let the dead bury the dead. And then Jesus says that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are some really strong words. But then he skips into this, there's this whole new section, Luke continues to write that the 70 are sent out. And I think it's really kind of exciting because this morning, there's going to be about 70 of you being sent out into your neighborhood today. And I don't find that ironic at all. I think that it is absolutely a province of the Word of God. The Lord has been stirring this message in my heart for a good number of weeks. I've been really prayerful. The Lord, like, you know, if you want this Word released, then you provide the opportunity. And when Pastor Ron called me on, I think it was like late Wednesday, might have been Thursday, and I'm like, yes, I have a Word. And I was like, Holy Spirit, you're really good. And because God is good and, you know, amen, right? So I believe in what's just kind of dive in, but let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this morning and we want to come to your word. And um, we bear our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. Um, get in there, do the rewiring. Give us the ears to hear and eyes to see the truth that is you. Not the little T truth that the world tries to pawn off onto us, but the capital T truth that cannot be reproduced, cannot be duplicated, and cannot be replicated. You are our perfect Savior. Holy Spirit, move through me. I want the message that you would have delivered be delivered this morning. And we pray this and receive this in your mighty and powerful, precious name. And all of us agreed in Jesus' name and said, Amen. So starting off in verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face to every city and place where he himself was about to go. That's a big word. There's a key word in there, and the word is sent. And this is the Greek word apostello. It is where we get the, our word that we derive, the word meaning apostle, to be sent. And not only that, it's a neat kind of word because it's kind of this word in grammar that we use. It's an imperative. It's kind of like when the mom says, take out the trash. It isn't like, oh, that's negotiable. It is, you will do this. So in a lot of ways, as Jesus is saying to them, I, am, I sent them. Paul, I mean, not Paul, Luke wrote, he was sent, which is, there was no negotiation. This was happening. And the thing I love about, you know, the gospel writers is they were very detailed. Not many of them left out a lot of things. And the fact there was mentioned in that verse, there was no ho-humming. 
There was no, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't have my walking shoes. There isn't like, oh, I didn't have my morning cup of coffee, even though it's really important for some of us. There's no, like, I didn't have my pepperoni pizza before I walked the streets. Oh, I know. It is very clear that the Lord sent them. It is an imperative, and it is crystal clear that they are going. And I love that. You know, it means to be commanded forth or command to be sent. And this is the reason why we use the word apostle for people in that way. And if many of you have called Grapevine home, you have not, hopefully you have not forgotten that a few years ago that the spirit of apostleship has laid on our church and the mantle of apostleship was laid on Pastor Ron and Pastor Kerry. And the word was spoken is that many of you, and they were speaking to our congregation, will be sent. I might be the first, but I want you to hear today I'm not going to be the last. And that's what this message for you is for you today is this idea of being sent is from me being a missionary to you who's also a missionary. That we are all called to be sent in his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. This is really big because um, the Lord does not send people where he does not think there's going to be a harvest. He says, right, very clear, place where he himself was about to go. He's saying to you, the 70, hey, 70, I'm sending you where I'm about to go. And maybe I think at some level, the are thinking, oh, you're going with me. Yes. And he's like, yes and no. <laughs> yes, I'm sending you, and I will be going there through you, but I myself, I'm going to be parking it right here. I kind of picture as I read these verses, he's sitting on a rock. I don't know, I kind of like picture, Jesus always mentioned rocks, and a lot of time when I see him in my mind teaching, I see him teaching from the rock. Yeah. It's a place of stability, a place of security, and it's always like, you know, very, I kind of picture it to be casual. But also the sense of the Lord is like, you know, he knew these men, and he knew these women. He did life with them. They, he traveled with them. He knew who these people were. He knew what they were capable of doing. And he looked at them and said, very clearly, I will send you out. And then he said to them in verse 2, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The Lord sends where the harvest is great. I have never once seen the Lord send someone to a place that is desolate and that there is no work to be done. Not once. Some people are like, well, you know, there was Jonah. I'm like, no, there was a great harvest there. It may not have been apparent at the beginning, but there was a harvest. I don't think that the Lord brought grapevine to Bruce and this campus to a place where there's no harvest. He didn't ask us to leave the Nellis campus in a lot of ways our neighborhood, and we're all on a mission in this neighborhood. Don't mark my words. Don't be mistaken by that. They did not bring us here because there's no harvest. That's some silliness. If you ever have that in your brain, stern in your, like right now, what's to spell that and say, not in the name of Jesus, Satan behind me, right? That the Lord does not send where the harvest is great. And then, you know, one of the things, I don't think that the Lord is sending me to Sweden because, you know, according to statistics, 99% of people are Christian in Sweden. I know that to be completely otherwise. And even if it was 99%, and what's hypothetically even run with that number, that all those people are saved, there's a 1% there. There's still a harvest there. And that harvest will be great. It will be great in not only our neighborhoods, but the harvest can be great in your families. The harvest can be great in your workplace. The harvest can be great wherever you are, because wherever you are, and you know the Lord is in you, and 
You know, I'm, chances are, I feel pretty confident there's another believer wherever you are, somewhere within close proximity. And the Bible is very clear. Wherever there are two or more that agree in my name, the Lord is there. The harvest is great. And so then he says, now I kind of picture them, they're like, yeah, yeah, the harvest is great. And they're all listening to him on the rock. And then he drops the bombshell to them. Go your way, behold. And I love that word. Every time you see the word like behold, therefore, that's one of those things you're like, stop. Let's check this out. Let's read this. What's going on? And he says, I send you out as lambs among the wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. I love these verses because um, first thing he says is, like, I'm sending you out. And it's not kind of like, oh, yes, you're just going to go out and everything's going to be great. I'm sending you amongst wolves. I am a native of the Northwest. I've seen wolves. I've seen, they do not look friendly. <laughs> Some of the things like, oh, here, Poochie, come let me love on you. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. They got these long legs. You're looking at those things like, if that thing takes off, oh, that's bad. So the Lord is telling them. Like, he, then all of a sudden, I can picture disciples are going like, oh, reality is kicking in. And says, I'm sending you amongst wolves. So mark my words. And we're going to come back to this verse in a couple seconds. But it is really important. He's sending you amongst wolves. Go your way. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. I think this is the set of verses that most people fall off, so to say, in the idea of their role in the mission field. I want you to hear my words that every single one of you in this room has been called to missions. We can spend an entire sermon discussing that. We talk about it a lot. There's a thing called the Great Commission, go therefore making disciples of all the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're all called to do that. Not a single one of us is off the hook. It looks a little bit different for every single one of us, because even we talked about this concept of the harvest, you know, when we hear that word, we hear a plurality, which means that we, there's not just corn. There's corn and celery, and then there's apples and cherries, and there's watermelon and strawberries, and there's potatoes, and there's peanuts, things in the ground. There's all kinds of different harvests, which kind of requires different harvesters, right? Different farmers with different skill sets and different abilities. I can't do everything. I'm not. I can do some things really, really well. There are some things that you do really, really well that I can't do and vice versa. And there's some things we can do really, really well together. And there are some areas where are like, oh, we don't got this. This is not my gifting area. But what the Lord is really clear is like, I will provide. The biggest thing that I hear when I hear people when they get this idea of mission in their head and that they buy into and they get on board with where the Lord is moving, where the Holy Spirit is going, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, is this big thing, the how question. Is what I kind of call, how will the Lord do this? And I kind of feel at some level, when I read these verses, he says, go carrying neither money, no knapsack nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. They greet along the road for provision. They want to maybe travel with other people for security. And the Lord's like, don't do any of that. And some people hear that and they're like, ooh, that must have like absolutely freaked out the disciples and these 70 people. I'm going to present an army. I don't think it did. They watched Jesus feed 5,000 people before this with a couple of bits of scraps. They have journeyed with Jesus for years by this point and never have had anything needed for anything. Everything was provided. And it wasn't kind of like casually provided. The Lord showed up in a mighty way with his fingerprints on saying, I did this. 
And so when the disciples heard this verse saying, carry no money bag, do not have a knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road, they were like, absolutely, the Lord would provide. Because I think if there was dissenting in the 70, Luke would have captured that. He, every time the disciples were ho-hummed or were excited, Luke captured that. And I don't think it's a mistake that in this segment of verses, Luke did not capture that. And I think at some level, the disciples were like, absolutely. Just as Jesus was sitting on that rock, they heard what he said and didn't even think, I'm going to starve. The wolves are going to get me. They didn't once ever think that. And I think so many people who are called to the missions field or called to evangelize or called to carry the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world, to our neighborhoods and even in the short area, like the small distance, stop in this idea of how. And this how is where Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan does not like wasting his time trying to uproot oak trees. That's a lot of effort. Yes, a couple of days ago, the wind came through and it uplifted a few. And I'll give you that. Like, Let's keep that in our mind that, yes, an oak tree can be uprooted if you are not careful. Satan can uproot you. Don't ever think that you are untouchable. But he will absolutely go for the weak, just like wolves. That's why I think that Jesus said, like, well, wolves don't go pick on the fastest Varmint that's running away from it. Oh, no. She just looked for the slow gazelle, the easy target. Satan does the same thing. He does not waste his time. I'm not saying, you know, he doesn't spend a lot of effort on the oak trees. He's going for the saplings. He wants to quash that dream and quash that goal and quash that calling way even before you even get the idea of, like, I might go. Kills it right there. I think many of you in this room have been called to go, and you stopped at the how. If I stopped at the question of how I would get to Scandinavia, I wouldn't be here today. I've been asking at some level, Lord, I've been kind of sitting, waiting like a kid at Christmas, like, how are you going to do this? Every step of the way over the last course of the year, the Lord has shown me favor. He has shown me grace in area ways that I cannot believe. And I kind of get what they're like for the disciples when they walked with Jesus for that season and fish and loaves showed up all over the place. The demons were being chased away. Like, I kind of like, that's kind of like part of my normal life now. And a lot of people ask, like, but it's a process. And so when Jesus says to you, go your way, behold, check this out, I'm sending you amongst wolves, but don't freak out. I got you. I am the Lord of the heavens. I am the Lord of the earth. I hung stars and plants. I know your name and every little hair or lack of hair thereof on your head. And I'm put a desire in your heart. And this is something I absolutely love. In the book of Psalms, in the 37th chapter, in the fourth verse, it reads, delight yourself also in the Lord. First thing, like, let's make sure we're getting the right heart here. We need to be delighting in the Lord. For the second part to happen, you must be delighting in the Lord, which means you need to be at some level reading, worshiping, delighting upon him, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. A lot of people hear this verse and they're like, I'm going to pray for a Porsche or a Lamborghini or a house on a beach, and the Lord is going to give me that. Now, the fun thing is we don't teach grammar very often, especially in church, but the way this really reads, he shall give you the desires of your heart. So what it basically means is he's going to put his desires in your heart, therefore you will go do them. Every single one of us has a dream or a passion. There's not a single person in this room or on this planet that the Lord has not given them a dream or a passion or a burden for fill in the blank. I was just spending a couple days ago talking to my cousin. He says, Stu, I'm like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, let's talk. I'm like, sure. And so we kind of got on this conversation. I asked him, Danny, what's your dream? And he said, my dream is to help the people that, the, that have been signed off by society. 
He loves the homeless, and he loves people who are recovering from alcoholism because he was an alcoholic. He was in the military. He gets that. And he's like, and I asked him, like, then why aren't you doing it? Like, if that gives you life and you love doing it, why aren't you doing it? I don't know. I didn't know where it came from. I was like, do you not think maybe that the Lord put that desire in your heart? I have a desire to see people saved. And I absolutely love people who are like, we're going to call that, put them in the scientific nerdy category. I love those people. I have a desire for them. I have a burden for them. Some of you are like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about 2 plus 2 equals 4. I don't want to talk about organic chemistry, carbon rings, and the quadratic formula. I don't want any of that. But that's my desire. I know some people who have desires for places on this planet to go to that I, want, I have zero desire to go to. I shared this story that there's a young woman named Catherine who is in Indonesia right now working with young ladies who've been rescued out of the sex trafficking industry and prostitution and teaching them that they're not sex toys. Is that my desire? No. Awesome for her. Good job, Lord. Praise you and exalt you that he is reviving people. But that's not my desire. I would really ask the question is, what is your passion that is in your heart? What is that burden that you have? And the mark of a true disciple Christian who we look at and are like, you are a pillar, is because they're pursuing their passion and you can see that. And it really goes back to asking the Lord, and if you don't know what that is, ask the Lord, Lord, what is your desire for me? I believe in a God who answers prayers, and if he can answer big ones like healings and miracles, I think he can answer a simple question of, what is your desire for me? But when he gives you that desire, don't all of a sudden start focusing on wolves and how am I going to eat and how I'm going to do it, because I think there's some of you that the Lord will say, go to those unreached people groups who are all over the planet, in places and countries you can't even pronounce. But the Lord will put that burden in your heart, and you'll, it's good stuff. Do I really particularly at the end of the day, and I hope my Swedish friends don't hear this, but am I a big fan of Swedish food? No, they don't like spicy food. They think ketchup is spicy. Are you kidding me? It's silliness. Jalapenos. I went to the grocery store when I was there last two months ago, and I bought a jalapeno, and I can eat the thing like it's an apple. Like, what is this? And when I put it on the table, they all looked at that, and before they would even like, even like, nope, we don't go there. But the thing is, I still have a heart for them and a desire for them. And there's nothing that will change that. If every single one of you stood with me outside and said, Stu, don't go, Stu, don't go, we don't want you to go, I'd say, Satan behind me. Because the Lord has called me there, and there's nothing going to waver me from that mission. And my hope and my prayer for you is is that, that when the Lord gives you that desire in your heart, that there is nothing on this planet that will waver you from answering that call. So he continues, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to the house in verse 5. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest in it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer, is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come before you. I mean, has come near to you. I hear a couple things from this is that the Lord will provide. No matter how big the dream is, the Lord will provide. When Moses stood before the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind him and countless gallons of water in front of him, a pile of, oh goodness, um, a pile of Hebrews behind him, like, now what? Behind him, I'm pretty sure when the Lord said, he's probably some questioning the dream, questioning the calling, like, 
I'm going to bring my people to the promised land. But he didn't waver. He went into the water and looked at it and slammed his staff in the water and said, Lord, you will provide. And the Lord provided a way where no man could see it. There are things in my journey towards Sweden I thought there is no way that this could happen in my power. And I have prayed, and many of you have covered me in prayer, and I absolutely appreciate it because I can tell you some of the blessings that I've experienced are nothing short of miracles. The favor that I have with the government, the favor that I have there, the favor that I've had lifting my life up with a job who's willing to say do whatever. In an industry that's like, oh, no, I own you. You are mine. You do as I say and you do when I tell you to work. I mean, I've had a lot of favor. And a lot of things that I've had to kind of slap together or piece together would have been at best for me. The Lord is like, done. Perfectly, flawlessly, seamlessly. And he says, you know, don't go from house to house. Don't do that. Let me provide. And he says to them, you know, for the laborers worthy of his wages. The disciples would have heard this and they're like, yeah. Just like I shared before, they have not forgotten the loaves, the fishes, the miracles. They would have gotten this. And so this is whole, like this, I call this like a pep talk. Jesus isn't really teaching them. He's kind of reminding them. This is not, you know, you know, something out of the ordinary for them. They would have heard this and thought, yes, we're going to go do this. And the big thing, especially in verse 9, I love this. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's big. Folks, I want to hear you this. If you start walking in the, the gifts that the Lord has given you, you start answering the calling that the Lord has placed on your heart, you will do great things through the power of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean let's get our chest up, look what I did, I did that. No. The Lord is saying, like, you will do great things if you obey me, and it will exalt my name, and people will come to me, they will draw near to me, and then we're now moving in the direction where we can see one day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth, not just some of it, but all of it. You will do great things. And a few people have come to me you know, over the last couple of weeks and months and saying, I see you've changed a lot in the year, last year, and I have. What really was is that I finally got into my head that I am worthy of the calling that the Lord placed on my heart. That it used to kind of bother me that people would take time out of their week to pray for me. That used to bother me. Because I kind of felt like I didn't have the value or the work to deserve that. Let alone looking at the calling, like, why are you sending me of all people? You have millions of people on this planet. You have Swedish people in Sweden. Why do you need to uproot me? Why me? Because the Lord said, like, you will do great things because you will obey and you will listen. And I didn't say some of you are called to short distances. I said some of you are called great distances. And sometimes it takes an outsider to tell a group of insiders, hey, let's, let's get on this. We have, we have work to do. But you will do that. The kingdom of God has come near to you. I hear that, and the disciples must have heard, like, the kingdom of God is going with me? The kingdom of God is going with every single one of you that are going out those streets today. Don't ever doubt that. May it be weird at first? Yes. Will you exercise some muscles that you haven't used in a while or may have never used? Yeah. It might stretch you. It might grow you. But multiple times I have this principle, I call it the natural principle, which is, is that the more you do things, practice makes natural. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes natural. I'm fairly confident at some level, even though as gifted as I'm seeing Mike and Shay over here, as they are with music, that the first time she touched the keys, it wasn't natural. 
I'm fairly confident the first time Mike looked at a guitar and he's like, what is this five-string monstrosity? Um, he looks really seasoned at it, and it's natural now. I've seen people who've given words of encouragement to me, and they do it on a regular, it's very natural to them. Some of you, it's very natural to pray for hours on end and somehow get laundry done. I have no idea how you do it. Awesome to you. But it's natural. I cannot exhort you enough that if the Lord has given you a gift and a skill, and then he says the kingdom will come near if you use it, use it. It makes it natural. And at the end of the day is that the Lord will be exalted in what you do because you listen to him. You heard his calling. You walked in his gifts. And you walked in his spirit. But do not ever, 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 I cannot say this enough, do not ever operate from your flesh in an area that the Lord has not called you to. It's absolutely huge that you do not do that. Verses 10 through 16, we got a lot of, um, you know, whatever city you enter does not receive you. Go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. This might be shocking to some of you, but not every single person you go out to today or every is going to receive the message that you're sharing. They're not going to be like, oh, I'm so glad you came by today. They're not. I know Pastor Ron will tell you for a fact that not every conversation he's had with someone has ended with a salvation or healing or a miracle. Not every single one of mine has either. Jesus told them, the disciples, he's like, hey, just in case, before you forget, don't forget that, you know, there's some people who are not going to receive you. Don't be upset by that. Jesus, you know, is very clear. He says in, um, in the book of John that, you know, the world hated you because the world hates me. And this is the STEW version of the Bible. But um, that, you know, if the world hates you, you know that, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you, friends. Satan does not like you. If you really start operating your gifts and your calling and you understand this concept of mission, oh, you are a threat to him. Does not like you. So they, when they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Don't take it personal. And it's really hard, and you're like, oh, but I really want to, you know, that family member. Sometimes it's hard to not take it personal. Because sometimes they, like, come after you with, like, feather and fur, nails and claws, the whole nine yards and fangs after, like. And sometimes it's not hard to walk away and not take it personal. It's nothing that you did wrong. The Lord did not look down and, like, oh, John, you said the wrong thing to Jane. How am I going to fix that? No. The Lord never says that. He did not make a mistake sending you somewhere. Jonah, some of thought you sent me, you sent me here to wreak, you know, to wrath, and you're saving these people? Sometimes it's the other way around, which people receive your message, and that's awesome. That's something we should be rejoiceful in. But do understand, not every single person that you share the gospel with is going to receive it. Jesus said there's four types of soil. There's fertile soil. That's good stuff. And there's weed choke soil. Well, that's, you know, better than no soil. And then there's no soil, like, you know, just shallow soil. And then there's, like, let's just throw it on the pavement and hope the pigeons don't eat it. So as you go out today and in the future, don't be hung up on if someone rejects the message that you said. Because at the end of the day, it's not your job to do the convicting or the miracle 
It's the Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit will do that. That's why I would pray absolutely as you're out there, have someone as you're going from place to place in the background praying in the Spirit, interceding that the Holy Spirit would do a mighty work because there's something like Satan's out there. Because Jesus continues, you know, you know, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, woe to the fancy word there, um, impenitent cities. You know, we can go over that, but basically it's like there's a cost of disobeying. But that's not our cost to pay. Our cost is to pray for people, to be there for people, and to be able to answer their questions and to love on them and to pray for them and to be who the Lord called us to be. In verse 17, Jesus, you know, I love this, there's a header there, the 70 return with joy. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're back. No, no, they returned with joy. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Satan will show up. I mean, we sometimes think that he's hiding under every rock and he's going to stay hidden. No, when you're out there, he's going to sometimes throw the kitchen sink at you when you're not looking. He is going to do his best to maintain his strongholds, but at the end of the day, he cannot stand before the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. The darkness has to flee. It doesn't like it might flee. It has to flee. And so the disciples, they ran into Satan. And they didn't come back like, oh, he kicked us black and blue. No, no, no. He says the demons, they said to him, are subject to us in your name. Key word there, your name, in Jesus' name. That Y is capitalized for a reason. In Jesus' name, no other name, not in Stu's name, not in Paul's name, not in the saints' names, but in Jesus' name, the demons are subject to us, period. Again, Luke was very specific. He doesn't kind of like, oh, well, we had some examples where he did. No, it, they said the demons are subject to us in our name every single time, over and over and over again. And then Jesus replies to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's a great visual. Lightning comes from heaven. Satan was at the doorstep of heaven, and Jesus said, not anymore. He has fallen from heaven like lightning, not like he kind of floated down. Cast down like lightning because of what you did. Every single time that we do something in the name of Jesus and we reclaim, we break strongholds, we break addictions, we see healing, and we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, Satan loses. I love how Pastor Ron says, we've read the end of the book, we win. You will be victorious, but Jesus left a very important warning in this. And he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not get prideful. I cannot say, like, it's so easy to think, I did this, I have this, I can do this. And the Lord will strip that of you because you're no longer operating in the glory of his name. You're operating in the glory of your flesh. And I will promise you that every time you do that, the Lord will smack you hard and say, no. This is an area that I have found so many times that the Lord takes very ground in grace. And he does it lovingly. But if you go in that direction, he will absolutely remind you by, you will send people to tell you, stuff will happen in your life, that you're operating in the wrong direction. The Lord will let you know. 
in the book of Acts, you know, so they, some of the, the spirits of Sceva sent some of them running. That's what, Jesus is trying to kind of warn them, like, don't mess with this stuff. Don't take this willy-nilly. There are parts of the world that are absolutely demonized and their principalities, and that's why we're called to pray against them. Like my friend who's in Indonesia, I pray for her all the time. She says there are cities that she can feel the darkness. Like I could, I could not imagine what that's like. Like I have great church, but I feel the presence of the Spirit here. I feel His light. I feel His hope, His grace, His love. I can, I don't know what it's like to walk. And I will maybe hopefully one day, like what it's like to cross the border and to say and say, mine, planting the banner of Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord. Not mine, the Lord's. Because so as you go out today, I want you to hear three things in putting this all together. Number one, you are called to be a missionary as much as I am. It may look different. It may, some of you have the gift of administration. I kind of talked to Janelle about this recently. This great idea that like missionaries aren't the same. We don't all live in grass huts, dig ditches, and eat worms. <laughs> to you young people, do you know that there are area missionaries who are begging for people just to help them out in their household and with their kids? Some of you who are absolutely great with kids, they're just like, I just kind of would love to have any. So there's people, missionaries out there who are like, I would love someone who could type at least more than 15 words a minute and could use a copy machine. That's a gift. Some of you have the gift of music. Do you know there's churches without worship leaders or even worship in their house because they have no one to bring the instrument to praise the Lord's name with? Some of you are amazing cooks. Do you know that that is a gift that some countries will say, we'll just give you a visa if you have an official cooking certificate of some kind because people eat in our country and if you can prepare food, why would we not let you in? Like there's a lot of spiritual gifts that the Bible does not mention, but all of us are called and we have many shapes, many forms. There are many types of harvesters. Different plants require different harvesters. Every single one of you in this room has, has a gift that the Lord has given you to bring to the harvest or to the fields of the harvest, to the orchards of the harvest to the streams of the harvest, every single one of you. And lastly, the great thing is that you have the authority over the enemy. He wants to stop you, but he cannot. And what will really change our world is when the capital C church realizes that they don't have to tuck their tail between their legs and run anymore. This is the thing I love about Grapevine is they're like, we're not that church. And we're going to go out today and we're going to absolutely say, Satan, this is no longer your neighborhood. The Lord called us to a harvest here. It is great. It is bountiful. The biggest difference between, like I said at the end of the day, really a Christian who wishes and is, is one that does. And lastly, to those of you, you know, the last verse, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We have a peace that no other faith has. I cannot tell you how many countless Mormons have come to me and like, you have something that we don't, you have peace. I'm like, yeah, because I know where I'm going when I'm dying. I know who Jesus is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your Jesus is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some of my people that I know that have followed faith, they follow a capricious God. Which is a fancy word. is like, they don't know what this God wants, and this God is out to get them, and they don't know where they're going when they die. They, can, they have this whole laundry list of maybes this list will get you to heaven. That gives me some serious peace. And I hope that gives you peace. And if you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you're like, I want that peace. We're going to give you that opportunity right now. And if that is you, that you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you've never confessed that he is the Son of God, that he died for you and rose three days later, and you want that peace of knowing where you're going to go, today is your day.
if that is you, you know, with every eye, see sometimes with every head bowed and every eye closed, I like to ex- celebrate that person. And every once in a while, we should do it with eyes open. And if that's you today, just slip your hand in the air like, Jesus, you are Lord. Awesome. And you never prayed that and you want to pray that for the first time? Perfect mess. You know, I'm so excited to pray for you because you're entering the kingdom of God today. And the Lord is going to write your name. And so I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we pray with her. And it's as simple as a prayer. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So all of us, let's pray with her. Lord Jesus, you are the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega. I am a sinner, and I fall short of the glory of God. But what you did on the cross for me was died and took my sins with you. I receive that free gift and ask you to be the leader, the forgiver, and the friend of my life. Jesus, you are Lord. I want to love you the rest of my days. And for those of you who are going out today, this afternoon, I want to pray especially for you. From one missionary to another, the Lord Jesus, that all the 70 or more that go out today to the streets, Holy Spirit, direct them. Let them operate in your gifts. Pair them with the right people. Guide them, steer them, inspire them. And we go out not for the glory of Grapevine, but we go out for the glory of Jesus Christ. That he is our Savior, that he is our baptizer, that he is our healer and our soon-coming King. Satan, we tell you right now, this neighborhood is no longer yours. We reclaim it for Jesus, and we bind you and rebuke you and tell you right now behind us. You can try to peek your head behind the rock, but we will run chase after you with a proverbial stick with this Lord's word, the Bible. And we do this because you loved us. There is no greater feeling than bringing someone to heaven with us. There is a bountiful harvest out there, and we receive it, and we bless it. We're so glad to be part of what you're doing in our city, in our neighborhood, our families, and our workplaces. We love you. And guide us through this week. And all of us said, amen. Now reach your hands to Pastor Stu, would you? Let's pray for him. Lord, as we send Pastor Stu out, we're not really doing the sending. You are. We're doing the blessing today, Lord. We want to put a blessing on him. We want to encourage him. We want to pray for him, Lord. And I, my prayer is that his ministry would be greater than he can think, hope, or imagine. That more souls would come to the Lord than he's even perceiving in his mind now. That that favor that he spoke about would continue, Lord, that would take him farther, take him into places that the gospel has not even been able to penetrate. Even in that 1%, Lord, there's still the 1% for a reason. Give him victory in that area, Lord. As he moves through the process and onto his ultimate goal in Iceland, God, just prepare the way. Prepare the hearts of everyone he'll come in contact with. And let him be a blessing where he goes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.